Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. I'm Nick Watson on Twitter, underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about Pilot Script 101, basically everything you need to know on getting started on your own TV pilot and some do's and don'ts for each step, from brainstorming concept and the world to thinking about characters and premise to outlining your stories and drafting your own script. This is not the be-all and end-all to writing a pilot. We can't possibly teach you everything you need to know about that in an hour. These are just some tips and tricks, some common mistakes, and some advice on making the best pilot you can and understanding the nuances of the format of a pilot script. Also, we have a bunch of episodes covering those more specific topics and details, so you should check them out too. Before we talk about how to write a pilot, let's talk about what makes a pilot a pilot. So what is the point of pilot? Well, simply put, it may sound self-evident, but a pilot is there to prove that your series has legs. It's a proof of concept, and that is why it is critical for you to first start thinking about why you'll be running that pilot and who is the intended target. Think about what your goal is in actually sitting down and writing this pilot script. Are you writing a sample that you want to send out to fellowships or to try to find a manager or an agent? Because then you might have some different things to consider if you were writing to try to sell this into development or get a show made, depending on what level of writer you are. Absolutely. I mean, the number one thing about the differences, I think, is the producibility of a pilot. Whether you want to write something more low-key versus high-budget, and there's a big tendency in newcomers to want to write something that's very expensive and very big. I think another thing to consider in terms of that is keeping an audience or a network in mind when you're writing your pilot. I think you should probably do it all the time anyway, but certainly if it's something you're looking to get made, you should be targeting a particular area in terms of, I think this would be good for broadcast networks, this would be good for cable, or this might be good for premium cable streaming sort of particular service, and that's going to determine what elements you're able to include and exclude, etc. That brings us to, I think, the number one distinction between one pilot and the other, and that is what kind of show is it for? Is it for a network? Is it, as you said, for cable? And broadly speaking, at least for drama, you kind of have this distinction between procedurals and ongoing serialized narratives. And I think for comedy, you have a similar dichotomy between single cam and multicam, correct? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly episodic and serialized sliding scale in comedy as well, but there is a fairly clear distinction between single cam and multicam in the elements that you're using when you're writing them and even the basic formatting of the script, which is very important to know. To recap on the serialized end, sometimes you may hear them described as being premise pilots. And those are usually the ones that are going to be pitched based on the ongoing premise rather than the engine of the show. Whereas a procedural is, again, more of a case of the week where the A story will focus on the repeatable formula like a Buffy finding the monster of the week. Yeah, it's important to note as well for comedy that even though traditionally it's known as this hard reset kind of format where everything starts again all over week to week, these days a lot of it is actually becoming much more serialized, these kind of dramedy type shows, especially on the streaming services because it actually lends itself better to the model they're looking at for their viewers and their audience. They want to hook people in to binge watch the whole thing, not have the ability to simply walk away at the end of the episode feeling satisfied and not needing to come back and watch more and more. And once you figured out kind of, okay, I'm going to write this kind of format, then the next question is who is kind of your target audience? Who is going to be reading this? Is it going to be just a traditional reader maybe to give you coverage? Is it going to be, as Nick brought up, a fellowship or a contest? Is it going to be an agent potentially? 
And just to go back to this network versus cable mentality, I think the big distinction, especially on the drama side, between what a show is usually aimed for towards a network versus why it's aimed towards a cable, traditionally, that difference stems from one of longevity versus one of originality. Networks have always kind of wanted something more mainstream that could last maybe up to a decade. And cable usually tend to go towards things that are unique and will be almost brandable for them. When you think of Breaking Bad, you're going to be thinking about AMC. When you think about The Shield, you're going to be thinking about FX. And so that idea is to bring in new subscribers. And because of the change in the way ratings are perceived and the importance of Nielsen ratings or lack thereof on broadcast TV, now you have a lot of networks that are moving towards those more branding and unique pilots. But that said, again, by large, when writing an original pilot, I think that distinction is still clear between something that has an engine that is repeatable versus something that's serialized in its narrative. Speaking of branding, it's important not only to consider the branding of the destination that your pilot might find, but also your own branding as a writer and having consistent writing samples. So if you're a comedy writer and you have one very funny network multicam sample, you might be better served writing something again similarly in that sphere and rather than trying to hedge your bets with, say, a super dark serialized dramedy for HBO. Particularly, wait, wait, super dark serialized dramedy for HBO. Can you pitch that one real quick? What's a super dark dramedy? Uh, is it like insecure? <laughs> well, I mean, look at something like Tignotara's One Mississippi. That's very, oh, very dark. I would consider that a, a Netflix, dramedy. Right? It's on, yeah, so those kind of things. So basically, what I'm trying to say is if you're trying to put yourself out there, particularly very early in your writing career when you're trying to get reps, or even if you already have reps and you're just really starting to make your way around town and get known in front of people, you want them to be like, this is the guy who writes incredible network multicams, let's get him on a Chuck Lorre show and not be like, oh, I don't really know where to put you. I think we've said this multiple times throughout our 30 episodes at this point, but knowing who you are as a writer, both personally, what's your own story, and dramatically in terms of the pilots you want to write is critical. I think we're going to be talking about that later in this episode. But just to go back to the pilot itself, the next step after figuring out, okay, who's my target audience and what's the basic barebone of my show, then obviously you want to think about the premise and the concept in that world. And you can go either high concept or low concept, minimalistic versus big budget. Or grounded high concept. Or is grounded, also a... Speaking of grounded high concept, I think I brought up on the Christmas episode, the show Travelers that's on mm-hmm. Netflix right now. That is in almost, if you read the log line, you think it's going to be a high concept, big budget. Yeah. You know, it's about time travel. It's about sending consciousness back in time to stop the earth from disaster. And yet it's really minimalistic. It's really just about these characters finding their ways in 2016 or 2017. So that's basically a minimalist, almost high concept show if you can find a strong grounded high concept idea what that essentially means is that you have a very strong hook and it's something interesting unique people haven't seen but it's not going to cost someone a million dollars an episode to film because they need all these vfx and stuff it's something slightly different about the world or something like just strange enough or different enough that it's a high concept but we don't need to see big aliens and explosions coming at you Although I do love those. That does tie back to the whole producibility of that. And if you're writing a spec pilot, especially, that is why you need to figure out why, if you're targeting first more of a contest route or an agent route Mm -hmm. versus a more like network and development route. Going for the big splash might get you that attention. It's a great sample, but it might never get made. Exactly. That's like the big question. Now, I will say this. There's a tendency with first-time writers and people that are writing their first pilots to kind of go all out and big budget and explode this and explode that. And as Nick said, that may give you a splash, so to speak. But if the execution isn't there, that premise 
is not going to go far. This isn't a town of ideas. This is a town of executions. And so you're not going to be writing that Breaking Bad level pilot every time that super serialized deep drama about characters. Sometimes you may want something more procedural. In fact, Vince Gilligan wrote on one of the most famous procedurals of all time, X-Files. So just because you want to write that one Breaking Bad doesn't mean that's all you're going to be writing, or that also doesn't mean you should only be writing those sorts of highlights. That's probably one of the most common notes that I find myself giving when I'm reading people's spec scripts and samples is that, wow, this is a really great idea and a cool premise, but I didn't really connect with it or it didn't work for me. The legwork wasn't actually there in the script. And you can have all the great ideas in the world, but if you can't execute it when you put pen to paper, then you're not going to get stuffed in a room and you're not going to make money as a writer until you really do that work. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's like the too intellectual, too cerebral note. I think I've given it to multiple, I think they were almost exclusively sci-fi pilots potentially, but there's this tendency of, I've got this cool concept and you get bogged down by the minutiae of how the tech work or how the politics of the world work instead of delving into what matters most, which is character instead of just the premise. I think it's ironic because if you have a really great concept, when people start reading it in the first five, 10 pages, they're like, wow, this is incredible. And all the possibilities start racing in their mind. Like I can see where this is going. And if you don't ever capitalize on any of those, or you don't fulfill that in a satisfying way, people are going to be even more disappointed than if you just written a very middle of the line sampling, like, yeah, it was fine, but it wasn't anything great. Like this could have been great. And you didn't have the ability to execute that. So. Disappointed. You've seen that Hercules, right? Like the disappointed <laughs> yeah. YouTube thing. Yeah. That's that's every executive in this town. Speaking of building these worlds and things like that, there are a few things to think about in regards to your premise and your concept and your world. And that is firstly, how close is it to our world? Audiences are going to assume if you show a modern day ordinary world that it is the exact same world as ours unless they see something that suggests otherwise. You can use those expectations to your advantage. It does help to have something a little unique about your world like we were saying before, the grounded high concept, but even just tonally, do something with how people interact and react or the world around them that just makes it stand out a little from everyday life, not just another boring show set in a generic sunny LA or generic big city New York, Chicago. <laughs> so many of those out there. Speaking of twisting the expectations, there was a pilot by Rondi Moore called 17th Precinct that was almost a fantasy magical procedural. It was sort of a B2B traditional cop procedural i think it was aimed for nbc i did not get picked up but the big twist rather the big a twist on the basic premise is that instead of science people were using magic to solve those crimes and so the big twist at the end of the pilot was they find this thing called a bullet they're like wait what is a bullet and oh, then yeah. they realize oh wait what is this thing oh it belongs to this cult of people who believe in this thing called science and so that's like the <laughs> that's big really the cool. big ending of the pilot which did not get picked up but the risk of that is it may be too out there for some executives or some people in case in point it wasn't picked up and in fact that's another point to the whole idea of figuring out your own logline and concept is what is your fresh take on something that we've seen before be it a procedure or a legal drama or whatever you we've seen a hundred cop shows before so what makes it unique to you is it the setting is it the people is it the cases what is it and a big part of that is understanding what is the current landscape of shows, both what has come before and what is in development and what is on the air. Don't pitch a show about a group of survivors escaping from rebelling sentient robots in space without knowing that it is very close to Battlestar Galactica, another Rondi Moore show. And if you're aware of that, then focus on what makes it different from what exists currently. BSG itself set itself apart 
apart from its original 70s counterpart because it ditched the campiness and honed down on the realistic warlike setting of the show, the fact that it was set in space was almost inconsequential and relevant to the week-to-week stories that they were setting up. The next big thing to think about is actually why you're writing this. What is your point of view or your unique take on this that made you want to write this idea above anything else? Why is this your story? And I think that when you're thinking about that, it helps to think about a personal connection. I often find that a lot of writers tend to write about the same things over and over in slightly different ways. And that's not a bad thing, actually, because they're not the same shows. They're just exploring the same fundamental themes and issues at the heart of those stories. You want to identify what your thing is, what you're passionate about, and what makes you keep wanting to tell stories and explore it and be able to speak to that when you're pitching to execs and reps and things like that. It doesn't have to be straight down the line in terms of, I grew up on an army base with my dad, so here's a show about that. It could be something more like, I had a dad who moved around a lot, and we can never settle in one place too long. He can never talk about his job because he was in the army. So I went and wrote this show about a kid whose dad is actually a secret assassin. Whoa. That ties back to the classic mantra of write what you know. It's not literally, oh, I know about living on an army base. I'm just going to write about that. It's more about, oh, I know what it feels like to go through something similar to what my character is going through right now. Yeah, That's I what understand right, what those do. characters, all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And then another aspect of figuring out the themes and the values, it's also kind of the trend. This is more on the business side. When you're first starting to research a project and the story and the characters and so on, figure out what has been discussed and what hasn't been discussed in TV. If you're working on a science fiction piece, be aware of the science fiction elements already being explored a lot on TV, like AI versus the trends in science currently happening that would make for an interesting and unique perspectives. And that ties, again, to the themes and values. If you're going to be saying something about something, don't be preachy. You should still say something and be relevant and so on. But there are some shows out there that beat you over the head with their Christian elements. Uh, <laughs> like the show called it's The Two OA. Vowels. Oh, yeah. That's- Not The OC. The OA. You know, if I wanted to see a show about Christianity, I think I just watched Touched by an Angel. I think that's a more subtle, <laughs> subtle A little show. more subtle. Riffing off of that, what does your show say about the world and why now? Why is it important that this kind of show would be on the air and speaking to people? What is it about the political climate or the world events or societal issues out there that kind of need exploring? You either really want to make it about something timely or about something universal. For sure. And I mentioned in early episodes my thematic litmus test that I do when I try to summarize in one word the central theme of my show or even shows that exist. And this helps me narrow down on specific character beats or emotional moments or narrative pieces that will kind of shine through in my writing and make the pilot exciting and also make sense within that story. As an exercise, you can always move backwards from something that already exists. As an exercise, I was recently thinking about one of my favorite shows from last year, American Crime Story, The O.J. Simpson Trial. And I realized that the idea of fairness, I think that would be the one word I wouldn't use to coin the entire show. Because if you look at every story, every character, every beat, it's really their perception on fairness. Everything from the way OGA was treated by the police and the justice system, whether you agree it was fair or unfair, to even Marsha Clark by the media or Christopher Darden by the defense attorney. So you have all these different relationships and character beats that are ciphered through this theme. And I think if you, as Nick said, if you think about something that's either timely or universal, I think there's so many things to be said right now that are very timely to our current political landscape. Mm -hmm. But regardless of that, I think anything you would say about humanity and themes surrounding your narrative, I think would be, it is critical, I think, now more than ever to not just be a vapid piece of content. I think that's almost your responsibility as an artist and as a TV writer, in my opinion. 
Definitely. Moving along to the characters that are going to inhabit your pilot, you really want to think about who you want your lead characters to be. Is it one leading protagonist? Is it with a supporting cast of characters? Is it a full ensemble piece? How can you make these characters compelling, original, unique, or a new twist on something that's already familiar to us? Yeah, I mean, just because you want to explore a bunch of different characters in your show, again, every show has more than one character, hopefully, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily an ensemble piece. It's so hard to pull off a compelling pilot that is about an ensemble cast just because there's not enough real estate in 50 pages to get really invested in those characters. Breaking Bad was such a successful pilot because it really focuses on Walter White. And if you're thinking about, oh, what's another great pilot? Oh, Lost is an amazing pilot with 50 different characters. That is true. But just remember that Lost had two hours, i.e. two episodes as their pilot. It wasn't just 50 pages. It was 120 pages. It was basically a movie. So you can't compare your script to something like that. Or even Game of Thrones, which I would argue isn't even a pilot. It was this chapter in literally a book. It wasn't even that. So take examples from shows that have set existing either an ensemble cast or a supporting cast or a leading cast. But either way, you need to focus on what will make the reader engage in your story and make your reader care about the characters, not just an ensemble of different people randomly assembled for no reason. Yeah, don't just use the word ensemble to mean I haven't bothered making one character a strong (laughs) enough protagonist or I don't know who my story is about. (laughs) There's a clear difference between those two things. Make sure that you know what each of your character's goals are, both within the episode and on a more overarching goals in the series. And also you should really know their flaws as well. You know, often characters have a lot of internal obstacles, which are their flaws. They're kind of obstacles to themselves. So you want to keep all of those things in mind as you write a character in every scene. It's going to inform their characterization and their motivation and how they interact with other people. And that ties back to almost the thematic aspect that we brought up initially, where you just thought a lot about what you wanted to say and why you're the one telling this story and not someone else. Uh, the same is true about your characters. Why is your character living this story and not someone else? Make your characters those shades of those themes that you want to explore. Deepen their relevance in the story instead of just being there as a plot device or there to make another character's life worse or easier. That's not what characters do because they're people, right? At the same time, characters shouldn't just be like, I'm going to write these three random people and make it up on the spot that you need to kind of construct the character dynamics and engineer their purpose and their thematic meaning, etc. in such a way is that it's all, like you said, relevant to what you're trying to explore. Unlike Felix on Westworld. (laughs) Now, last and definitely not least, perhaps one of the most important aspects of this entire episode and pilot are the story and structure behind your pilot. Now, in my mind, the biggest piece that you'll have to juggle with when writing your pilot is writing a compelling hour of television versus writing the first hour of television. And how do you achieve that balance? That is especially true in a serialized pilot, which I think a lot of you listening right now will want to write, because intrinsically, your serialized pilot will not feel like the show because you won't get a sense of what a quote unquote normal episode looks like. You're too busy setting up the status quo or changing it and presenting the world and the characters, but also laying the groundwork for future episodes to come and that balance between making something for thinking and making it compelling right there and then is incredibly difficult to do that's one of my pet peeves in reading drama pilots is the first four acts are all set up and establishing the world and meeting the characters and then the very last act something finally starts to happen and then like really the first action that's ever taken towards anything interesting is the cliffhanger like tune in next time 
like the OA. <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy what the OA did in its pilot, but the OA pilot is 100% not what you should be doing, I think, as a spec pilot. I believe strongly in having an engine to your show, as well as setting things up for the series, particularly because it's so important for comedy. You want to try to resolve a self-contained story arc within an episode, particularly your pilot, and also leave a broader arc or conflict unresolved. This is what's going to make it an ongoing series and not just a one-off short story or something. For drama, that's the same distinction between something that's very procedural and episodic versus something that's serialized. And you said you got to set up your series, you got to set up your engine. It may be easier to do for a legal drama, but like even a serialized show has an engine, has some kind of setup that you got to engage in a story and make it clear what is your week to week episode, whether it's a central question or what have you. For Lost, you know, it was how do we survive this island? That's the central premise. And even if it's a serialized narrative, you got to set it up in your pilot. Exactly. You also want to make clear how episodic versus serialized it is. It's usually a sliding scale. Most shows now are a mix of both, but it needs to be very, very clear in that pilot to what extent that is true for your show. And usually that breakdown is going to be the A story is going to be your case of the week. If it's something like a procedural for drama, that A story is going to be your case of the week. And then you'll have maybe a B story that's also procedural. And then a C story that'll be your runner for the season or a character beat. Mm-hmm. That's usually the distinction. I'm assuming for comedy, it's very similar yeah, more or less. Otherwise, just on the idea of dramas, it sounds like if you wanted to go for a heavier serialized show, you might flip around those stories a little bit so that your ongoing series arc might be the A or the B story. And then you might have your B or C to be the self-contained little thing instead if you wanted to go for a more heavily serialized series. Would that be right? Initially, my instinct would say yes. But then if I think about something, even like Breaking Bad, obviously, you do have a lot of those A stories are Walter White trying to get out of the trouble he's in right now. Mm -hmm. And so that's almost the A story. That's him trying to, I think it was Jesse being stuck in the RV with Hank being outside, knocking down the RV, like in the parking lot or whatever. That was an A story that it was self-contained within this episode is how does Jesse and how does Walt resolve their issue? And that ties in the bigger narrative. But I will still stand that I think even in a serialized show, Mm -hmm. a story will still have some form of catharsis or conclusion within that 60 page frame. Yeah, they're more or less smaller pieces of the overarching thing. You can break it down into individual elements, but they are intrinsically tied to that ongoing arc over the series rather than a completely separate adventure that people go off on and then come back. But I will say that since we're talking about pilots, I think it's especially critical to still have something that is somewhat self-contained in that episode some sort of conclusion going back to what you said about comedy in terms of the storyline structures your basic comedy structure is essentially an a story and a b story with a c runner the a and b usually usually the c as well will intersect at the end as a payoff which is often the climax for example so someone's building a house of cards and someone else is building a go-kart and by the end of course that go-kart is going to crash into that house of cards it all just comes together at the end there and then that would be a reset for the next week as they get into some other shenanigans thanks for ruining the surprise (laughs) i saw the go-kart i was like oh it's gonna be good i don't know what it's going to happen but then you just spoiled it right there we've already brought up the drama side where you have your a story that will be usually your case of the week if it's a procedural or if it's a serialized i think it's more of an exploration of that continuous story now i will say that it's really rare for dramas to just have an a story and i think it is critical even in your pilot to even though you will have your protagonist hopefully you can still have multiple storylines i'm not saying the whole alphabet but even an a b and c story makes the world more vivid because you have those multiple perspectives and 
story is going on in parallel. So that allows you to deepen that world and the characters, as well as obviously the themes and the values you want to explore. A recent pilot that I really enjoyed was This Is Us on NBC. Mm-hmm. And great I think pilot. it's a great pilot. And I think that's a great example of the parallel storyline between an A, B, and C, and even D stories, um, like a runner, but like A, B, and C stories that cross over and join at the end in an interesting twist or like an interesting end of the episode. Yeah, you don't um, see it coming, but you understand how it got there when they reveal it. It doesn't just come out of nowhere and feel unearned. So that's the trick to doing that well. Smart Family didn't like something very similar mm-hmm. in this pilot. And that's because it's earned. That's because pilot works regardless of that ending. The stories in of themselves are compelling enough that they showcase different aspects of these characters' lives and they explore different themes and values. Yes, absolutely. Even if they didn't all come together at the end, you'd still feel satisfied by these individual stories. But the mark of a great writer is being able to also bring them all together and synthesize them and connect them in some way that you're like, wow, that really pushed it over the top. And just to step back a second to the overview of the pilot, I think there are a few archetypical stories for pilots, especially for dramas. I think there's two typical stories. It's either someone new entering a world, a stranger in a strange land kind of story, or a day in the life of, like ER is an example of like a day in the life of. But either way, whichever archetypical story, or if you read McKee or what have you, Hero's Journey, in any case, you still need to establish the characters in the world sufficiently that the reader is entertained, as we keep saying, by the result that they're reading right now, as well as want to see another episode or continuation of that story. But you still don't got to be entertaining on the page. That's the number one key. Yeah, I remember a quote that I think predicated on Westerns, and there were two stories, a stranger rides into town or a man rides out of town. So either way, you're changing the equilibrium of your world in one way or another. It's just is something coming into here or are you going out to there? So everything can be boiled down a little <laughs> That brings me back to the, was it the 50s or 60s that have at least 30 Western shows on the air, like (laughs) on smoke? But that's how you generate something that's interesting without being repetitive is because you have all these shows about the same thing, but because of the characters, because of the setting, because of the stories, because of the themes, because of what they want to say about the world, those things made the pilots and shows unique. So now that we've seen kind of like a broad overview of what makes a pilot a pilot, let's talk about how to write one. I will preface this by saying, uh, by saying rather, that you should check out our sixth episode called Bringing the TV Resume Process Home for a deeper dive into this whole process from the inception to pitching, outlining, drafting, rewriting. This is really a section more about the specifics of writing a pilot in this entire process as opposed to writing a spec episode, which we will be doing in a future episode, or even what is the process in the writer's room. This is really about creating something fresh for the very first time and how you go about it in every single step. Where do you start? How do you originate a pilot? Obviously, you got to get ideas from somewhere, whether that's being drawn from out in the world or brainstorming them is a very common process and one that Alex and I certainly use. Things come to you, you take down notes, and then you just throw ideas at a wall and see what sticks. And then you got to follow a process to formulate them into a pilot, which we do go into more detail in episode six. One thing that helps me really crystallize the idea of what my show is going to be about is a solid logline. I think it's important to have that before you write it. Don't try to reconstruct it after you're done, although you should go back and check whether it's still the same thing you started writing. Here's what I think a good logline should contain, and this might be a little bit more relevant to features, but I'll give you the TV version of that right afterwards. So in a world, in a world, in a world, a character must some goal despite obstacles or else the stakes. So that is a linear kind of story that might be most suited to a feature in TV. It's almost more 
a unique or unlikely character in a fresh or interesting world must deal with some unresolvable conflict or paradox or irony, if your show is very episodic, or some kind of overwhelming difficult goal for a serialized, despite these ongoing obstacles and stakes. So for an episodic engine, that might be the daily struggles of being the first openly gay president versus the serialized version of that is him trying to get elected president. I will note here that what's really interesting is even in the serialized logline that you came up with, it is still based on character. It is not based on world. And I think a lot of people may think about the big picture and, oh, wouldn't it be cool if aliens invaded and how would we react and so on. That's an interesting concept, but your pilot, since TV is a character's medium, so you need to hone it down and figure out what is the logline based on your characters, even if it's an ensemble piece. So I think Nick brought up trying to get elected president. It was still about the character trying to be elected president. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that it would be like a house of cards kind of show. It's not, oh, let's do a show about the White House. That's not what this is about. I I hear writers pitch stuff to me a lot of the time and they're like, I got this great show. It's about this thing. Like you said, like there's aliens and they come in and this is all going on in the world and there's all this conflict. And like, oh, cool. So like, who's the character? And like, oh, I haven't thought of that yet. And they got to like make a character up from scratch that suits the world instead of the other way around. I don't think that's the best way to go about it. Yeah, don't think about what it's about, but who is it about? That's, I think, the key of when you think about your favorite show, you're thinking about the characters, not necessarily the twist or the narrative, but you're really thinking about why did you watch this show for five seasons every week? I guarantee it's not the premise. How do you build these worlds, though, Alex? Well, you got to do your own research. (laughs) I think that's another interesting way of finding ideas is if you want to do something about a legal drama or a medical drama or a cop drama or what have you, by digging and doing some research, I think intrinsically you'll be finding cool and interesting areas of that world that hasn't been explored yet. And actually, even if you have been a lawyer or an attorney, because there's a difference, or a cop or what have you, don't presume you already know everything about that world. You still got to do that work. And then you got to process it. And that kind of passive work and background processing aspect will translate in the page. Uh, Here's the thing I think a lot of people don't think about as well is that most of us have absolutely zero real life experience or encounters with, say, being a lawyer, being a cop, being a doctor. Everything that we know about that is based off of what we've seen in film and TV. So if you go ahead and write a show just using your knowledge of what the cop world is like based off of every cop show you've ever seen, you're going to be writing cliches and you're going to be writing things that are already in themselves fabricated from not reality. There's no way to make that interesting and unique and original because every concept you have is based off of something else that's already a fictional thing. So that's why it's so important to actually find out the truth and find out your research and bring that truth into your story and and make it different than what's already been out there. Oh, absolutely. I think that the concept of bias is also very strong depending on the perspective and if it's more uh, sensitive subjects. I once wrote a period pilot based on real people and events and there was a point that before I even figured out the outline, that was the research phase. I was reading literally seven books at once. And the reason was simple. Everything I was reading was so biased towards one side or the other that I kind of needed to know the different perspectives on the events and the characters involved or the people involved, I should say, and find my own take. Whether it was a subjective take or objective take, it's the one that I was in control of and you should be the one in control. Just because you're gonna be researching X, Y, and Z about this setting, that also doesn't mean you should info dump or just copy paste entire paragraphs of 
books that you researched about in the character's mouth or the prose just to show off some jargon. The only reason you should do that is if that character is some kind of like know-it-all that is literally quoting that book that you researched. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, it's something that's really more subtle than straight up dropping big words like objection, your honor. It's not a very big word. It's a big word. (laughs) Wardir. If you've been on jury duty, then you know Wardir. It's a fancy word. So let's talk about how you go from the idea to the script, the process of developing, formulating that, outlining it, etc. Again, we go into more detail on this process as to how to do each of these individual steps in episode six. But here's a laundry list of things that I like to do personally. Everyone might be different. So for me, I really like to have a brainstorm document of just all of my notes that when I was throwing stuff at the wall that I can refer back to. You never know when some little idea could come in helpful when you're writing. Don't throw anything away or delete it. It's all going to be handy eventually. I like to have many, many discussions with my writing partner and my friends, bounce ideas off of people because that helps to kind of take it over in your mind and get it from that place to something else. I really like riffing with people. Give yourself time to think and really mull it over and let that process in the back of your head. I also like to have just a very loose, what I call a beat sheet of how all the major plot points flow, including the act breaks where they come so I can work out the kinks and make sure my, what Matt Stone and Trey Parker call the butts and therefores, which we've talked about before, are solid for all of my stories, A, B, and C, as well as for each of my major characters. Take a look at the plot through their eyes. What's their experience of this? Making sure their motivations, goals, etc., are consistent and solid and not just serving the plot instead of the other way around. And lastly, I would like to then go into an outline with all of my scene headers, brief descriptions and bullet points of what happens in each scene before I go off just to write that draft. My own process, even before going to the draft, this would be like the things I need before going to outline. So I have my setup, my log line. I do the same thing as Nick does in terms of background processing, talking about it. A lot of passive things that would be hard to really describe. But what I do have is some form of reference document or almost like a bare bone pitch document, which would include character breakdowns. Even if it's just a one line or paragraph, it's everything I need to know about what my characters are going to be going through in the pilot, as well as various notes about who they are and the backstory elements. This would just be for my own reference, but could also help me in specific scene dynamics. Then there's also the world and the macro elements. This is the research that I've done or references to go to when I tackle a specific setting or part of the story. Let's say I have a cop show. There's one big scene set in the very specific precinct in New York City somewhere. Maybe I've done some research about the specific scene and the specific setting before relating to a real place in New York City. Then that would be something that I would put in this document to refer back to it once I write in the outline or in the prose or in the draft. And then also there's obviously an episode overview, specifically the big dramatic tentpoles and things I need to set up and where. Once again, this would be before I do the outline. Once I have the outline, obviously I'll be using the outline to do the draft. This is just going from the brainstorming phase to having index cards on the board. As we said, there's no necessarily right or wrong way to do it, but those are some useful tools that you might be able to use yourself or try out and see whether it works for you. So let's delve a little deeper into structure again. We did go over a lot of this earlier, so this is just going to be some more esoteric points about that. There are definitely a few things that you need to watch out for when building your story and your outline and your pilot. Now, the ones I'm going to bring up are mostly for drama, but I think they also sometimes relate to comedy. The number one thing for drama, I think, is relating to raising the stakes, figuring out the act outs and the act beats within them. I keep repeating myself, but it's so critical to say it again and again. This pilot script needs to be an engaging hour of television by itself. That means you need to be building the tension upwards 
and then have some form of cathartic moment or moments at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's a twist, maybe it's some kind of conclusion, it could just be an opener, but it needs to feel organic or warranted. Don't just change your premise in the last five pages. I think Nick brought it up. If you bring in a, a completely new question out of left field in the last line of your script, that doesn't make it interesting. That just makes us wonder why that wasn't your actual pilot. Exactly. You can't just promise that it's going to get interesting in the next episode and the rest of the series. That's not what a pilot is about. And that's a really lazy thing to do. <laughs> Extremely lazy. Just to go back in time to the beginning of your pilot, I think there is a discussion to be had about whether you should be writing a teaser versus a cold open or like a full act one. This is mostly a cable distinction, I think, for a drama where if you're going to be writing more of a cable pilot, you may just want to write a long act one without a teaser versus a network, which we may have a three or four page teaser. You do have shows like The Good Wife, which have pushed boundaries in terms of having a network show be an elongated first act. And I've personally even written a pilot formulated in the vein of The Good Wife with a very long first act. But that's, again, a stylistic choice. Like, figure out the structure of your show. Is it a five-act, a six-act, or whatever? And emulate shows that you enjoy. Like, what is a show that is very similar to your pilot? And try to figure out where their acts are at. I always advocate trying to write a cold open for comedy. It's incredibly common. I don't know that many shows that don't use that. Some shows don't have a tag, but some do. So it's up to you if you feel like that's something you want to use. Usually tags are fairly just like, and here's an extra jerk for a page. So if you don't need it, you can cut it off anyway. Are cable comedies structurally similar to network comedies? There are some definite differences there in terms of, say, an HBO not writing act breaks in and that sort of thing in the same way and being able to have a longer page count and all that kind of thing but so many people i know are like oh every comedy writer thinks that they're going to be writing for hbo or for netflix everyone's just like that's the default cop-out answer and they're just like so i'm going to write my pilot with no inherent act breaks and structure and then they just waffle through it and it's not interesting and they don't know how to actually play to those comedic beats and that tension so i advocate even if you are writing something that you would think would be at home on hbo or premium cable or streaming Try putting the act breaks in, you can always take them out later. Like they're training wheels almost. Yeah, it's the same thing for drama. So many people want to write that HBO drama that they're going to write this pilot that's going to be 60 pages with no act. And always advocate also for act breaks just because it makes it easy on the reader. You want the reader to feel good about reading your script. You don't want the reader to be like, oh, I'm only on page 30 and this is unstoppable. And as Nick said, training wheels. But I would argue that when you're breaking up your story and your structure, it is vital to think about your story as act blocks. That's why even on the feature end, people are like, oh, it's a three act structure or what have you. Yeah, there's no acts written into features, but they still talk about it like acts. Exactly. Because the narrative warrants it. And it's the same thing for dramas and comedy as well. So understand what makes a show three act, four act, five act, whatever. I think we even had a previous episode talking about act breaks or something. But either way, (laughs) you should look into it for your pilot. Got a lot of episodes. You guys should listen to them. Yeah, we got like 30 at this point. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's move on to just some do's and don'ts and FAQ questions about writing for pilots. Characters. Characters. Um, Characters welcome. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. USA. So Nick, why do we care about characters? What's the point of characters? That is a good question. I think that there are a couple of tools and things that you can do to make us care about characters. These are common over most forms of storytelling, including features. You want to find a way to engender empathy for the character. So you might want to put them in a situation where they are under threat or they're being unfairly 
treated, something like that, so that we're instantly on their side. Making sure that we start off following them and their point of view. It's like when baby chickens are born, the first thing they see is their mother. The first thing that we see is very often going to be our protagonist or the person that we're going to care about <laughs> or follow. The audience are baby chickens. That's all you have to remember. That is truly beautiful analogy. Uh, wow. So there's that. Also making them an expert at something or very good at something is a good way for people the, to be the like superpower. Yeah. So those are just like a few little tips and tricks. You probably have some as well, Alex. I think the more obstacles you put into a character's way, the more interesting they're going to be because you're going to see them think, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to see how does X get out of Y? Give mm -hmm. them decisions to make. Exactly. That's and what informs us about character. The end result should be based on the character's action and it mm -hmm. shouldn't be a deus ex machina. In fact, I think there's a common thought about story where you can actually make more obstacles fall out of thin air like that is more logical than making them disappear out of thin air Absolutely. that's more that's an easier pill to swallow but i will say there are some don'ts in terms of the writing of the characters and the purpose of those characters don't make them just say exposition just because we talked in a previous episode as always i feel like this is every sentence i'm just like in the <laughs> one day we're gonna do an episode where we're just, just like all right next section uh go to episode three <laughs> next section uh refer to episode nine <laughs> then i'm just gonna repeat myself the obvious example is all the techno babble characters on Star Trek and so on. If you're going to have a character like that, make them interesting as a person and not just there to recite technical words. And it's the same about the prose and the writing. Don't just write stuff for info dump and expose your character backstories in obvious, uninteresting ways. The character should be in constant motion throughout your script. They should be doing things, not passively receiving things. And this is meant to be an engaging hour TV. That's why they're doing things actively instead of sitting on a couch receiving information like mm -hmm. so many Americans. <laughs> That's right. Another important thing to think about is not just your main character, but also the dynamic with all the supporting characters and the ensemble around them. Who is the team? Particularly if this is a procedural or a multicam sitcom type of thing, it's very, very important to have strong dynamics between all of the characters that are going to engender conflict and humor and drama and things like that. Just watch Guardians of the Galaxy versus Rogue One. One has a team, the other has a mishmash of characters there to sell figurines. <laughs> <laughs> nice way of putting it. So exactly, don't just be like, uh, and uh, there's going to be a generic best friend and a generic <laughs> like uh, love interest and whatever. You need to really think about each of these characters should have a very specific reason for existing. And it has something to do with that main character and what aspect of them or of the theme or of their choices that they could be making that they are reflecting or being a shadow of. I mean, yeah, you brought up the theme, the classic nemesis versus hero dynamic mm -hmm. it still can be present in your script of, oh, this is the character representing darkness versus light. And whatever version of that in your themes are, that will bring your characters to the front and center of your script instead of just being passive actors. How about the world? We did chat about this, but anything else we want to touch on? There are a few things about setting the rules of the world. you got to make it clear what kind of world it is. Once you get feedback on your script, a lot of those macro notes are going to be, oh, this thing didn't track, or what are the rules, especially in science fiction, obviously, like what are the rules of gravity? How does gravity work in space? It doesn't. A lot of supernatural um, pilots with zombies and vampires and magic and things you really got to establish your rules clearly there especially again if you're going to be subversive about those tropes and cliches then be forthcoming about it don't hold back information there's this trap that i see a lot of people fall into where they want to make their world or the characters and the story mysterious so they kind of purposefully withhold any comprehensible information about the story of the characters this just makes the script confusing in of itself unless you're doing it for an organic reason within the pilot
it where you're going to be revealing in the third act and it's going to be a huge twist that you've laid the groundwork for unless it's that kind of reveal don't just withhold information thinking oh i'll reveal it in episode six because this is an episode six this is a pilot script that i want to read and feel good about reading right now what about some cliches? What are things that you see all the time in pilot scripts and you're like, enough, enough of this? I mean, I just gave one. So many cliches. What about you? For me in comedy, I'm really sick of seeing the washed up middle-aged white guy who doesn't know <laughs> what to do with his life. And the nagging wife. Yeah, the nagging yeah. wife, all of that stuff. It's been done to death. It continues to be done because you have a lot of big name actors who are around that age and who want roles. <laughs> you know, those are the, of course. The, so it's unfortunate, but really try to come in with a new, fresh perspective. Again, a similar kind of thing. Don't do a bunch of 20 somethings in New York just trying to make it through life. You know, like there really needs to be something a little bit more. Um, Wait, is this uh, How I Met Your Friends? <laughs> yes, How I Met Your Friends. <laughs> Again, that's been done in its most generic form, and it's been done very well at this point you need to be offering something new unless it's your show about writers writing that show <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like a meta meta show about comedy itself for drama i mean i'm sure if i think about it for an hour or two i'll, I'll come up with those narrative elements that i see over and over again but it's more like since we're talking about pilots i have like issues with the way people set things up i think the hardest thing to do in a pilot is either be super obvious about it or be so obtuse and obscure that you're not forthcoming and interesting in that pilot so i think that's the biggest it's not really cliche as much as a faux pas that i see often is either info dump or the other side of the scale where it's really just about saying words that have no meaning and wait for it, wait for it. But there's no reveal at the end. Yeah. Another one for me is like under introducing characters mm. at the start. They have like yep. one very perfunctory line of like John Smith, 32, smart businessman or something like that. <laughs> Particularly with female characters, it happens so often. If you have a line in there that's just like, you know, the classic sexy but doesn't know it, she's blonde and oh, beautiful. Yeah. That is not a character. That is a physical descriptor. Any actor they find a plate of course is going to be beautiful that's how hollywood works give us something that actually tells us about that person if you need to write a whole paragraph about what this person looks like and what we need to know about them as a character i am totally down for that because i'd much rather get a good sense of who they are from that very first moment and how that's going to inform the rest of the of course experience. i mean if, if you're describing someone by their physical appearance or the things they wear it has to have a relevance in the narrative if you're going to be writing something i mean this is what i'm doing right now i'm writing a pilot about the world of fashion and so obviously what they wear means a lot because if you wear a christian dior that's going to be very mm -hmm. different from like just uh, something you got at Target. Yeah, be very specific about, like, people talk about you can describe wardrobe, hair and makeup. Those kind of things can tell you a lot about characters. If you say something like, it's a beautiful woman, like mm -hmm. beautiful to whom? Are you talking about yourself? Are you talking about the reader? Like it's yeah. completely biased. And how does she present herself in such a exactly. way as to do that? You know, how does she dress? What does that tell us about who she is, her wealth level, her education, different things like that? Don't describe random wardrobe options unless they mean something like, oh, where's a blue shirt? It's like, no, no, no. She's wearing like a cutoff tank top with some slogan over it that's going to tell us something about them. So just be a little bit considerate about what you're actually describing and what that means to us. And to jump off on that, under presentation of the character initially, I think if you're going to bring a character, like make their introduction matter. That's the way to do exposition, really. Mm -hmm. It's by the way they act, what they say, what they do, even what they wear, what they think, I maybe mean, not what they think, but at least how they act upon it. And so all these conjunctions of factors define who they are as people. Once they appear on screen, that needs to matter. And, and, and make their introduction dynamic and active as well. Like they can be doing something, they should be doing something in a situation. And that tells us so much about that character, not just 
waking up in bed in the morning or sitting on the couch watching TV or riding the train to work or something like that. You can find very specific, interesting things for them to be doing and being in situations that tells us a lot about them. So don't waste that opportunity. Absolutely. All right. Now let's conclude with some more technical questions. Nick, what would be the traditional page count for a comedy? 30 is a pretty safe number, particularly for network stuff. You really don't want to exceed that. They have very, very tight limits on the amount of minutes they can put on air with advertising, which is usually like 22, 23 minutes. I mean, even I think the Big Bang Theory now is down to 18 minutes. It's, oh, like it's crazy. It's crazy ridiculous low. how much they keep trimming it. You can also go up to 35 safely for cable. 38 to 40 is the absolute ceiling. And even then you should be looking for ways to cut that down. Animated sitcoms and multicam sitcoms will often reach 40 to 50 because of double spacing in multicams. And also in the animated stuff, the fast dialogue and action usually means that two pages equals one minute instead of the usual one page equals one minute. So if you see a family guy script or something, Simpsons script, it could be 50 pages, but it's not going to go for an hour. If this is a sample, shorter and tighter is better. Think about writing jokes on Twitter. You're distilling (laughs) their essence down to 140 characters. I find it's always much funnier than writing a long rambling joke on Facebook. Wait, a whole paragraph to set up a joke isn't a good for him? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for drama, it's, I would say, roughly speaking, between 55 and 65 pages, although I aim for the magic number of 60 pages. Technically, 59 plus the title page. I'm OCD that way. Again, it will depend on the act numbers. How to get away with murder is upwards of 70 pages, but you got to keep in mind this is a production draft that is not the pilot. So really buy by the rules of existing pilots instead of just a standard episode of TV, which is going to vary drastically. And what about formatting inside the document? I know people often have a lot of questions about this. Yeah, I mean, this is almost a purely writer's uh, preference. I mean, obviously, you got to write cold open or teaser or act one end of act one you gotta segment every piece of the puzzle have a page break after the act break all that kind of stuff exactly this is something you can look up online there's like plenty of books about information you should know and that your final draft program or whatever you write on will often do for you Right. And then since the pilot is meant to be the first episode of a new show, you know, set the standard in terms of the formatting of italics, even the the slug lines and so on. My goal when I format my script and my draft and my prose is to make the read as easy and as seamless as possible for the reader. And that includes sometimes bolding out character names when they're first introduced so that they catch the eye more easily. Or even, you know, some OCD, as I just said, some OCD things like not having single words that end the sentence hang alone on the left side of the page, but instead neatly fitting the whole sentence within the borders. I rewrite so many sentences, even ones that I'm happy with just to make them fit. You gotta be concise. Like it's like your Twitter joke comment. You gotta be concise. I think that's more effective because you're gonna be looking for those Mm -hmm. words that mean more than say or hear or does. You know, these are generic generic words. And you gotta also be consistent with your slug lines and your carons. You have an opportunity there to name your settings however you want them to appear in the script so make deliberate choices if it's a comedy maybe you can make them funny because it's a location i think the name could be funny but like even a drama i have a writer friend of mine who in his he did a really stylized period piece and his slug lines are in tone with the rest of his script they're not like interior boat or whatever they're like i'm not gonna like quote him for comedy could be like interior apartment something like that you can put your voice into that for me, I tend to bold my scene headers and that kind of thing because I think it makes it look cleaner on the page. Some people don't. Some people don't like yeah, that. Same, same. I will often use italics for emphasis. I try not to do it that much. If the meaning of a line would change so much, if it was misread, I will try to put an italic in there. I tend to avoid underlines most of the time. You don't want to like 
have a weird thing where you're like putting emphasis on dialogue with bolds, italics, and underlines and not being consistent about any of it. I think the the emphasis thing is people use both separately, but both italics or underline. But you got to be consistent. Either we're going to use italics for the whole script or underline, but not both or yeah. interchangeably. It's not how it works. Yeah. Or you might use italics to emphasize something in dialogue, but you might every now and then want to underline something in the action to make it really clear. But you know, I usually use caps for that. So I've used italics for subtitles before in dialogue because of a foreign language. But again, when I did that, I had to note in my script, my pilot script that said specifically like note, every dialogue in italics will be in this language mm-hmm. or what have you. So really be clear and consistent. I think that's the biggest thing. What about supplemental documents to go along with your pilot? A lot of people talk about series Bibles or just outlines of episodes and log lines. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's worthwhile in the brainstorming process to know the characters and know the world and maybe have some basic concept of what episode two, three, and just like brief ideas of the future. But in terms of the pilot, unless you're going to be pitching it, unless you're going to be developing it, I don't really ascribe to the notion that you need a Bible. It's useful to you as a writer. It's useful to your manager if he or she wants to pitch it or really for the business side of it. But if it's just a sample, I don't think you need like a 30-page Bible. No, uh, definitely not. And the idea is that everything that they need to know about your series and what can be extrapolated from that should be within your pilot anyway. And this is one thing that should be obvious to people, but sometimes it isn't. You don't need to write an episode two and episode three. You don't need to write an entire series to go and use this as a sample of cellular series no one's going to read episode four of your spec series specifically um, episode four like the yeah. episodes one through three they just got to read episode four it's a waste of time if you do get interest in that series and people want to make it everyone's going to have their own opinions on what should change and how things should go anyway so only ever write the pilot unless someone starts paying you to write more yeah but isn't that the rule unless you're going to be paid for it don't, don't write it basically pretty much i will say though with bibles and stuff for comedy usually not needed but animated series sometimes it can help particularly if you have artwork and a vision of what it's going to look like if you have animators or a studio or something like that who's working with you fantastic you know a pitch deck type thing could actually be really helpful for you also be careful if you're writing a drama pilot speaking of animation and drawings and so on be careful about adding extra stuff in your pilot script that is beyond what is going to be shot or shown you know if it's going to be a map or something to clarify the world you could include that in the script but be careful about it being warranted if it's a fantasy series maybe include it but otherwise if it's a procedural about new york don't include a map of manhattan i've seen people provide internet links in their script like hyper hyperlinked things in pdf like here's the song that's playing click on this that kind of wow. thing like some people like to provide that or like here's a video of what's playing on the tv like it's I would not do that at all. Please don't I mean, do that. that may work in a pitch, like as in a physical pitch where you have the singer sing the song right there and then. But yeah, uh, this otherwise, is like in the script. So just be careful about something that's needed within the script. Mm-hmm. That is, if it's a quote, I think this isn't a feature film, right? Like you should, if you're going to be writing a quote that is going to be shown on black screen, I wouldn't usually include it within the prose or within the scene description, not a white page just like make room for it. Also, I've seen a lot of the time people put an image on the front cover of their script or they make the font of the title or something like that look kind of interesting or stand out. I'm fine with that. I don't have a huge issue. Yeah, I do um, that myself. So that's not that much of a problem. But 
but just be aware that you may want to just go with the industry standard a lot of the time. Be careful of the formatting of if you're going to do this, then make sure the PDF reads properly yeah. on Mac and PC. And it's not 20 meg because you put a huge <laughs> like image file on the front cover. This is like a quick tip on Adobe PDF. There's an option to quote unquote sanitize your document, your PDF, and that's going to remove any personal information from your computer that's in the properties of the file. And the reason why you may want to do this is it is also going to transform your fonts and I think your images also to something that's compatible across devices. So it's going to really lower the overall size of the PDF. All right. Instead of several megs, it's going to be kilobytes potentially. Very cool. All right. That brings us to the end of our episode. So here are a couple of the takeaways you should keep in mind from today. Number one, when you're brainstorming and thinking about your pilot, you need to really consider why you're writing this, who you're writing it for, and what you want to write about, both on a story level and a deeper thematic level. Number two, understand the inherent distinctions of a TV pilot, whether we're talking about the format, the structure, or the story. Number three, you really want to delve deeper into your concept, your world, and your characters, and find your point of view or personal connection, particularly if it's going to connect with your brand as a writer. And finally, be aware of common pitfalls and cliches, especially if this is your first TV pilot. Now let's talk about some resources. What do you have for us today, Nick? I have a link to this thing called the Ultimate TV Pilot Checklist on a website called Secrets of Story. Basically, it's exactly what it sounds like. Go to this page, take a look, make sure your pilot checks all those boxes or consider each of those elements when you're still formulating your story so that they're actually going to be in there by the time you get to the end of them and then check them off again. It's just a nice little handy reference guide that covers a lot of the stuff that we talked about today and make sure that you haven't missed anything. And we'll be adding it to the show notes. My own resource, I have a book, but before we get to that, I'll jump off on what you said, Nick. There's also another PDF that uh, will link to the show notes that is from theblacklist.com. They have some basic TV script standards overview. It's a couple of pages, and it kind of goes over what we've already covered here. But the book I will recommend is this book called Right to TV by Marty Cook. I might have recommended it in a past episode, but in any case, this is still a good overview about the basics of writing pilots, both comedy and drama, including sections about character, dialogue, and world, things we talked about, but not as in-depth as in the book. So I definitely recommend checking it out. And that's it from us this week. Thank you, as always, for taking the time to listen. You can get the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 30. That's dot co. 30 because it is our 30th episode. Dirty 30. <laughs> what? That's what people call it when you have a 30th birthday party. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you can definitely leave us reviews about our whatever 30 that was at paperteam.co slash iTunes. Obviously, we on other platforms, but we love iTunes especially because iTunes helps us get new listeners and which will build the community if you leave us dope reviews. And I'm always on the Twitterverse at TV calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, opinions, things we did not cover in this episode that you want us to cover in future episodes, please email us at ask at paperteam.co. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at uh, representation, agents and managers, and all the questions that you have about those things and how to find them. I'm going to make a joke about the wild beast and where to find them. Uh, <laughs> fantastic beast. Fantastic agents and where to find them. Uh, wow, what a great episode. On that note, I will see you and uh, Nick also, actually. <laughs> I, I hope so. Maybe he's going to murder me after this. TBD. Tell my family I love them if you don't hear from me next episode. <laughs> we'll see you all next week. See you then.